And welcome to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren, and if this is your first time kind of tuning in, we want to say thanks so much for hanging out with us. What we usually do here is that we review movies, TV shows, and a bunch of things all over our favorite alcoholic or regular beverage, and we have a good conversation and talk about some things. Uh, so we always have like a spoiler section, so if you haven't seen the movie just yet, we will let you know that we will be spoiling. Majority of the time, though, we only talk of movies in our spoiler section, so just keep that in mind, but you can definitely kind of hang out and figure out all the other uh, activities that we do here on our show i want to thank everybody thanks so much for kind of tuning in tonight we will be talking about glass the third installment of m night Shyamalan's universe randomly out of nowhere but i love it uh before we get into all the nitty-gritty before we get into all the amazingness i have my best friend with me we go way back arguably the only other person that's been on the most modern podcast besides myself officially the mouth of the South. Brylan, what's going on, man? What you been sipping on, and what else have you been watching? Hey, how's it going this evening? Um, I have just rushed in from work, so I am still working on a Americano coffee that I got from uh, Starbucks. So that's what I'm going to be sipping on this evening. Uh, if you don't know what Americano is, if you ever had a mocha, just take the milk out and replace it with water. It's much healthier for you. So it's really good. Uh, but what I've been watching recently is I checked out a documentary on Hulu called Minding the Gap, which recently got nominated for an Oscar. It was also nominated for Golden Globes as well. And um, it's, a, it's a good documentary. I wouldn't say it's fantastic, but it's an interesting look at uh, youth growing up in uh, the Rust Belt. So that's like outside of Chicago, that's uh, Ohio, Illinois, those that stretch of land where there used to be a lot of manufacturing that's closed down recently. And it's about these kids and how they're trying to pursue their dreams. And they're all became friends through skateboarding. Um, it's a good documentary. I think it's solid. I think it's really cool that the documentary was actually created by one of the friends. And it's kind of like him interviewing everybody in his family and his friends around him and kind of getting them to open up very honestly. And I think that's like the big, um, amazing thing about it is that there's some very tough information tough uh, life stories that they actually share hmm. and he just puts a camera onto these people and say hey just talk to me i want to understand things i want to just get a better understanding and perspective of why did you choose to do something uh, a certain way and so um i i did find like it it didn't have focus didn't have that much focus about like what the story is ultimately about but it is a good journey to just see what is what is this part of uh life all about for them and would you say it's anything like um like lords of dogtown or mid 90s or something more centered around like a documentary like more like slice of life or like actual things that's happened in this society 
Uh, it's more like slice of life. It's not going to be focused on the skating, but they do take time to just show like skating's what kept them together and kept them away from the bad stuff in their uh, lives. So it definitely has kind of that similar mid nineties feel where it doesn't dive into the whole world of skateboarding, but it's there to show that, Hey, when life is hard and shit happens, it's one of those outlets out there that uh, a lot of youth find togetherness and friendship through it. So it does have that positive message still about just hanging out with your friends when the worst is happening. I mean, that sounds cool. I'm super down to actually check that out. That's called Minding the Gap. You said it's on Netflix? It's on Hulu. Hulu. Okay. I know, um, like, listen to one of the podcasts that we listen to, you know, Slash Filmcast. Um, they actually did review that film, and I was kind of hesitant about it. But if you saw it, I may check it out. So, um, <laughs> cool. Well, as always, it's great to have you on and uh, see your face. And thank so you, thank uh, you. let's 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 do some partying. Uh, my name is Warren. I will be your host this evening. I am currently sipping on a new red diamond red blend because we get real fancy up here. Uh, Francis Coppola's uh, diamond collections called the red blend from 2015, the Scarlet label. Um, this label is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, th- it was a reason why it kind of caught my eye. Very simple kind of red label that's going to be on there. Um, I was actually yeah. taking a bath earlier with this. So it was actually quite nice. Um, super smooth, uh, very easy, uh, very, also very light. So I definitely would suggest I had this with some turkey and some, uh, mac and cheese. So it's a really good food pouring. So definitely go check that out today. So. That's a heck of a bath. I mean, I mean, if you're bathing in turkey and mac and cheese and wine, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the don't? smells like, but I guess your skin's very smooth now. My bath bomb <laughs> was a cranberry flavor. It was great. Oh, nice. Uh, what else have I been watching I've been watching a bunch of stuff as we always do Um, tonight we're not going to talk about uh, Punisher and True Detective we know that those things came up so we'll be kind of mentioning those a little bit later on so definitely stay tuned for that Uh, but I did check out a movie uh, and this was actually last year that was called Welcome to Marwin have you heard about this movie Braylon with uh, Steve Carell yeah, I saw the trailer like a thousand times in the theaters, and when I saw the trailer, I was like, "There's, I mean, there's just some warning signs going off when I was watching this movie. Like, I thought it was visually neat with the characters animated, and like, the idea that this is behind a true story is kind of interesting, but also, it felt like it was very pandering to, and just very heavy-handed in what type of messages trying to send. So, I felt that it was just like the most... Uh, flagrant oscar bait out there and it didn't really interest me so i never got around to seeing it it not only didn't do that brylin which i thought it was going to do it didn't do that but it was also a very like this movie was based off of a true story and it was very creepy it (laughs) talked about a guy who seems to be um socially awkward uh and then he gets attacked because you know he enjoys wearing heels women's heels And that's just something that he finds comfort in and how he kind of created this new world called Marwin. Once you start unpacking some of these reasons why it's called Marwin, why, what is he doing? It's a very creepy story. And I felt super uncomfortable as me and Emma were watching this. Like, not only is this a bad movie, but we we are we wonder why we should feel bad for this character or this guy in real life. It was 
Very strange. Uh, definitely would not recommend. Uh, <laughs> but I was kind of bummed that it it definitely kind of felt like an Oscar bait sort of movie. Uh, I love yeah. I, I love watching Steve Carell in anything kind of serious. There's really nothing comedic, to be honest with you. Um, but the thing that I felt was really bummer is all the other women that was in here, and Janelle Monae was in the movie for like two seconds, and oh, wow. so they literally only they really had Leslie <clears throat> Mann's character and Steve Carell and a couple other kind of side characters mainly in the movie the entire time without ever going into other people's lives, and that was kind of that was kind of a, a, a big miss on my part. So. Welcome to Marwin. Um, I'm pretty sure it's out of theaters right now, but if you do catch it, you know, free, hopefully it kind of pops up on Amazon Prime, you know, I'll be curious to see what anybody else kind of thinks about this. So, as we normally do, our, uh, one of my favorite new sections now, I shall be raising my glass as we're going to be going to send a sip to our fellow people, peepets, or you never know what's all out there. So, Brylan, who are you sending your sips to tonight? Uh, so since I, um, I don't have the love for Wilson, like Mr. Blewett has, <laughs> um, my go-to, uh, send a sippers since can't think of anything better right now. It's going to be the wicked good gaming podcast. Uh, Dom, Chris, uh, even though his butthole stanky, he's tall and lanky and <laughs> Dr. Bob, they're great people. They do the Lord's work by, uh, sharing their love of video games and you can tune in every week, even when they're actually doing their podcast live, which is always a lot of fun with that interactivity. So let's give it up to the Wicked Gate Gaming Podcast. I think you'll find all their stuff everywhere as uh, Wicked Gate Gaming, wherever, it's at, or wherever it is. Number one, uh, one, number one video gaming podcast on Spotify. If anybody listens to Spotify. Uh, uh, I, whoa, 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 bro. I kid, I kid, I kid. I'm a title guy myself. I know you so. said you wanted to clap back on some things. I didn't think you wanted to clap back on Spotify. Calm down, yeah. bro. I've yeah. never had a Spotify account. So. <laughs> I love Spotify, man, and especially that they actually have like now podcasts. Just makes me easy. It makes it easier to just stream stuff, uh, especially when I'm going on site and I'm like kind of working in different areas that they actually block certain websites and these block like iTunes and stuff like that to. The fact that I can actually go and like watch, uh, excuse me, like listen to podcasts and listen to other like stories and listen to music was super cool. So I think it's a pretty cool thing. So I don't know. So and you hear that Spotify, you should maybe sponsor us. You're just going to toss that out there. Brylon was just joking. Brylon's, I was. Yeah. yeah. Spotify will take you. No, no, for sure. Uh, <laughs> our stuff is also on Spotify. So what are you talking about? <laughs> My sip is going to go to the my beautiful girlfriend Emma and the late uh, the mountain resort of Killington, Vermont, and the ski instructor Will. And I appreciate his patience for teaching me how to ski this past weekend. So thanks so much for you, my friend, because you were amazing along with everybody that went for that trip. The trip was so much fun. Uh, I wish it was colder. I wish it was more snow. But that's okay because as I went down one of the uh, times, as I fell, the many times I fall, I actually split open uh, my pants. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that sucked, but it was a lot of fun. So I uh, definitely send a sip to you. Thank you so much. Woohoo. Mm. I love like it. Fun time. It was fun. I'm super bu- I'm super um super pumped that we're actually going to be going again. So I'm very very excited about that. So, as we normally would do, we're going to do something a little bit different. So we usually kind of talk about this as our section that we're going to go to spoilers, but today was a big day. They actually released the Oscar nominees. 
and I have been having my own thoughts as Brylan does too. So what we're going to be doing is that we're going to give you some actual conversations of some of our thoughts and feelings of how we feel about the Oscar nominations as a whole. Um, so I'm going to be kind of reading some stuff off. We kind of switch back and forth between me and Brylan and Brylan. I'm curious overall, we don't have to get into two specifics because that's a whole different episode. I'm sure. So yeah. I'll read off here. are The best nominees for best picture, and we can kind of pick and choose what we want to do after. Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Quick thoughts, what you got on that list there? Uh, I would say um, it follows like the pattern of what the award season has been, but also it's a very choice. So you don't really have any surprises here. Um, I think that you could have probably taken something like Bohemian Rhapsody off and put in If Bill Street Could Talk seems to have a lot more accolades to it um but overall it's a it's a very solid um listing i think um i would say out of all these movies it'll be tough to decide which way the academy goes like um at the golden globes i think roma won best picture or you know if bill street could talk won best picture and for drama and Bohemian Rhapsody won for musical comedy. So then that was actually a big surprise that Bohemian Rhapsody won that. So it would be interesting to see which way they go with this. Are they going to do something like Green Book, which is like that kind of um, understated com- conversation about race relations, or go with something like Black Klansman, which ramps up that conversation to a higher degree? Uh, or do they go ahead and say, hey, we're going to choose Black Panther because let's actually shock everybody and show them, hey, we can pick superhero movies as long as they have some very deep, thoughtful conversation and criticism. I mean, I don't like the list at all. Um, I agree with you that three of these movies I'm looking at, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Vice should also go off this list. Uh, but... I'm glad that they actually have some diverse, um, you know, you have a, a musical driven movie with Star is Born. You have yeah. practically a concert, a musical concert with <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, but then you also have like some, you have a weird, quirky comedy. I actually don't know if Jorgen Lanthimos ever had a movie that got nominated for Best Picture. So I'm wondering if this is his first time because I would love if the favorite Was it The Lobster? Wins. I don't know if that was best picture. I have to because okay. I think that also maybe it was went, just screenplay. Yeah, that thing went. It felt like it went straight to Hulu. I, I remember, and I was kind of bummed, but uh, that not as many people had a chance to see that. So, and that was also a very a much more out there movie than the favorite. Um, yeah. But I'll be I'll be I would love if that has it here. Uh, you know, I have some thoughts on Black, uh, Black Panther, but I'm glad that we have a diverse. You know, there's a lot of people of color that's up here on these screens. Arguably, even, you know, we talk about Bohemian Rhapsody, if that is depicting Freddie Mercury's life, you know, and then we have Roma, which is I'm kind of glad that it's on there because we actually kind of mix in a bunch of different stuff. So I'm not super pumped the fact that even Vice is up here um, so much. And so that's something I'm going to be talking about a lot. But overall, you know, not not too excited about Best Picture. Yeah, Vice is the odd one that I don't understand why it's getting nominations, but – there's many more movies out there that were 
great that I think could easily replace it. But I would say ultimately, if I was going to give a prediction to this, maybe Roma takes it away. Um, but I would love to see the favorite win it. Mm, that would be cool. That would definitely kind of set us apart. Okay, we can only choose one. What are you going to do? Actor in a leading role or actress in a leading role? Uh, I'm going to do actress, and I'm going to kind of like mix this in with both actress categories. I'm just going to say I really love about these categories is that the actresses from Roma got recognition. Mm. And especially Yalitza Arapicio, uh, Aparicio. There we go. Sorry for butchering that name. <laughs> um, she has a very, it's one of those things where I think like, like the lead actor, they expect like many lines and like very, a lot of emotion and everything. Her, her whole role is very understated and silent, but it's still very complex as well. So I think that's re- fantastic. Um, I would also say that um, having Marina de Tavira on here is fantastic because she has like another understated role in Roma. Um, but ultimately I think like the biggest snub out of these categories is probably Charlize Theron mm. for Tolly and probably Claire Foy is a supporting actress for first man. Yes. I'm surprised because I have, I, I think the majority of these movies will say about a percentage of, you know, 75 to 85% of the movies that we've seen. Um, but, there's things that pop up like the wife, you know, can you ever forgive me? Melissa McCarthy comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And then if we're talking about more actresses, the supporting actress was just, you know, a couple movies, but then Amy Adams pops up again. And I'm super curious that I know Amy Adams had a really powerful stance in that movie. We talked about vice at first and then it kind of disappeared. Whereas Claire Foy's character was throughout the entire movie and it almost acted as if it was the main character so right. i think that's really odd you know that's definitely a bit of surprising i'm real pissed that tully didn't get on here i'm not i'm we're not gonna we're yeah. not gonna go into that <laughs> but that's a that's an absolute snub like there's no way you tell me that she doesn't get on this this actual list here that's absolutely crazy for me but you know what can you do yeah, but uh, Olivia Coleman. I hope she walks home with it. She deserves it, hundred thousand percent. This one I'm, I'm excited about because I think I've seen all but one of these movies, but I think Mariah actually can see animated features. So we have Incredibles two, Isle of Dogs, Mariah, Ralph breaks the internet, and Spider Man into the Spider Verse. What do you think? Oh, I mean, if Spider Man does not take this home, uh, <laughs> burn the house down. I mean. <laughs> That's that's the only answer for this. Uh, any other animated movie on here? I'm sure they're fine. They're solid, but they're not amazing. And Spider-Man's the only one that's amazing on this list. I can see a bit of an upset. With Mariah, probably. No, uh, no. Um, I haven't seen Mariah, so I'm not me, sure. Me either, but I, I, I don't think it was as big as um, we wanted to. I'm glad they have like a non- English, you know, movie in here with subtitles. I can see a bit of an upset if Isle of Dogs or Incredibles 2 win. Um, I don't agree with it. I'm with no. you. <laughs> I'm right with you. But if one of those do win, I think it's going to be Isle of Dogs because they don't look at they, – they don't like superhero films. Yeah. So flat out, I think that's why it's going to be kind of bullshit, but we'll see. All right, last topic here I do want to talk about, or the next topic, uh, directing. 
Spike Lee, Black Klansman. Powat Pawlowski for Cold War. Pavit uh, Pawlowski. Pavit Pawlowski. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The Favorite by Yorgos Lentimos. We talked about that. Alfonso Cuaron. We talked about Roma. And Adam McKay for Vice. What do you got? Uh, <laughs> Your face. <laughs> Go ahead. Take Adam McKay right off this list and put Barry Jenkins on there if you knew what you're – if you knew anything. Two <laughs> There's no reason for huge, Adam McKay to be on this list. Two huge snubs here was the fact that Bradley Cooper and Barry Jenkins yeah. did not get on this list. Crazy to think that. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen Cold War, but I've seen all the other movies at least. I haven't finished Roma, but I'm – I've seen it enough that I was so surprised that Adam McKay, out of all the people, popped up on that list. Yeah, it's an odd one because his movie doesn't really work the way it should have. And he stuck to a style that definitely worked for his other movie, The Big Short, which he definitely should have been nominated for that. But it's not really the same. It's not a good blending with the stories trying to tell so he shouldn't be on this list uh yeah it should be bradley cooper or barry jenkins up there but ultimately i i would love to see yorgos win this mm-hmm. uh but i think alfonso is gonna take it home probably and continue that streak of mexican directors winning the uh directing oscar oh interesting the, it was be fifth in the row oh so inuatu inuatu was the first one right no so Corona won for gravity Oh, Enrique uh, won for Birdman. Um, Birdman and The Revenant. Yep, and then Del Toro won for Shape of Water last year. So you think it it could be right? It be fine. Yeah, it could be okay. Okay, so the last topic I want to bring up before I'm okay and see if you want to bring up anything else is the overall music. Uh, I do want to mention music, the original score, and music, the original song. Um, now these, oddly enough, are I actually didn't get a chance to watch all of these movies like RGB. I didn't see Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. Um, I didn't see <laughs> RBG. Sorry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I even said her name. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see Mary Poppins, which I think is a, a bit of a bummer. But I saw the other movies. I'm curious uh, for getting your takes. Who do you think are some snubs, and do you think? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs should be on this list because it's on here for best original song. You love that movie. I think you started talking about it before. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my quick takes on this is the RBG song. That's like Diane Warren's annual Oscar nomination. She's going to get that regardless of what she makes. So she'll always be up there. Um, this is Shallow's category to win. Uh, even though all the stars, great song, uh, snubs. I don't know if it's a snub because it's tough to see what songs were made for the movies and what songs came from albums, especially with, um, uh, sunflower from into the spider verse. So I don't know if that was originally made for into the spider verse, but if it was, I would kind of want to see it in here, but, uh, I would have loved to seen another stars born song up here as well. Uh, especially the one that she sings after Shallow. I forget what it's called right now, but I think that's like her solo song that gets her noticed. I think that's the most powerful song in that movie. Um, but I love that when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings on here, it is actually one of the best moments in that movie. And it's actually very beautiful how it's done. And like when it comes to like simple like cowboy 
songs. I love them. They're really good. Nice. Um, but I would say, like, as for the score, I think it's really cool that, uh, oh, how do we pronounce his name? Ludwig Gorenson, uh His score for Black Panther is fantastic. It is. The only other one I could see compete with him is uh, the man himself, Alexandre Desplat for All of Dogs. It's fantastic. You can't deny it. I So I think it's a bit of a snub on this list. Uh, again, not that I have the hate of Black Klansman, but that that needs to go. Um, you need to put First Man score on here for a best original score. I'm surprised that's yeah. not on here. Uh, but, oh, my gosh, Nicholas Brittle, his score for If Bill Street Could Talk is sublime. It's, is it? It's so good that I don't know who's going to win this one because Ludwig Gordonson's phenomenal, and not. And I think a lot of people get mixed up with the hip hop and the rap, and that's 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 not the score; yeah. it's the soundtrack. But his score is absolutely amazing. I think we talked about it in depth during that podcast. Isle yeah. of Dog score is super fun. I mean, the plot he won it last year with Shape of Water. This score is also phenomenal. Um, very, very different, but it also has a bit of a uh, Japanese sort of um, shamisen vibe to it. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, but I think if Beale Street could talk, should win. Uh, I definitely have some bias to that movie, but that score is actually quite, quite good. So I'll be kind of surprised to see how that happens here. Original song, got to go to the shallow. I mean, no. all the stars wasn't even... That was a song before Black um, Black Panther came out. So it was a song that rolled during the credits. <laughs> yeah, and so I was kind of bummed that I saw this and I saw this list and said, you know, Sunflower definitely deserves to be on this list. Um, there's some there's one song that I'm forgetting from this year uh, from this movie. Oh oh oh, uh, that's what I was forgetting. The uh, princess song from uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. That was a good song. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I was. was I was I was kind of bummed that I didn't see that on this list, and I was surprised. But uh, I know Mary Poppins was going to make it. That's cool. Um, I just wasn't sure about the uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, so I was really kind of I really pumped to see that. It is one of the most uh, beautiful moments in that movie, and so I think it's definitely deserving, and it makes that scene really well. All right, what it's else do you want to talk about for the Oscar noms? Um. What I want to talk about, like, uh, two quick categories I wanted to bring up. Uh, first one would be best documentary, just because I love documentaries a lot. But I also think the biggest snub of the Oscars is in this category as well. Uh, so best documentary feature, we have – let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, my gosh. I got you. Free Solo, of Free Father and Son, RBG, Mind in the Gap, in Hale County this morning, this evening. Yeah, so yeah, I just saw Minding the Gap. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's Oscar worthy, but it's definitely up here. Um, but there is actually one big movie missing from this group here that, even though documentaries are not very popular, this one was probably the most popular documentary. I even actually was predicting it would get a Best Picture nomination. Um, and it was also one of our best movies of 2018 easily especially warren's best movie of 2018 fuck you oscars what's missing from here uh where the hell is won't you be my neighbor that movie has a 99 you can't tell me that about movie was perfect 
that documentary was so perfect that I'm sitting here and you brought this up. And again, I was way too upset to even to even think straight until you said this today. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm wondering if they why? Like my thing is, is there like a wide. stipulation that mm-hmm. keeps it from being nominated? That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe something because... to do with like the length of the movie or something. But I'm I'm just like flabbergasted entirely. Yeah. Um, and then the other category I just wanted to mention is visual effects. So for visual effects, we have Avengers: Infinity War. We have First Man. We have Solo, a Star Wars story. We have Christopher Robin, and we have Ready Player One. Um, there's, I would cut like half this list. <laughs> so I can tell you, just looking at this one here, right? Christopher Robin, because of the nightmare, <laughs> the nightmare puppets are going to win this. Yeah. So, Chris, those puppets, I think we mentioned this that they looked so real that it was creepy, and yeah. I think that's a good thing for it. First man, I think there was only two sh- shots and sequences, but it was gorgeous. It was fantastic. But I, I can't to give capture it- space like that. I. It's an interesting choice, which I think is cool because a lot of people think visual effects, it's like it needs to be a lot of CG and epic and huge. No, I think it's really cool that they put something like First Man on here because it's more nuanced and subtle. That movie was so technical also from the acting was so cold and metallic from the sound design and quality from even the score. Um, So I'm glad it's up here. Ready Player One? Very bland. Fuck. And very unimaginable. Fuck unimaginable. this list. Ugh. Uh, that's um, no. Solo. I don't. Solo. Beautiful movie. Yeah. It, it was. It really was. Beautiful movie. There's I, one big movie I think is missing from here. What do you got? Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, wow. I think it should be right up here along with Infinity War for the effects that they pull off in that movie. Well, do Even you if think it is because practical a lot of it, effects. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's still phenomenal for what it did. Damn, that's a huge snub. Mission Impossible yeah. is not even on here anywhere, is it? No. Wow. Not for production design or anything like that. I think they should – I mean I didn't like the movie, but I did at least appreciate all the other hard work they put into making that movie and how the overall look of it. So that's a bit surprising. Yeah. And then one last thing I would say just to switch things up is in Best Original Screenplay, uh, we have The Favorite. We have First Reformed. We have Green Book. We have Roma. We have Vice by Adam McKay. Why? Um, so I want the favorite to win this so much just even having to hear the story behind how this screenplay was written I think is amazing and it is such a fresh and sharply told story I would actually remove Vice and put Sorry to Bother You as original screenplay interesting I would think that would be a great fit here did they even get nominated in the Golden Globe? Or they don't do oh, this? They didn't get nominated for anything. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can definitely agree with you that Vice should be removed. Um, yep. I know Mocha saw First Reformed and enjoyed it. Um, said it was pretty powerful. I can see why its original screenplay is up here. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think Green Book is going to work, although that story is very heartfelt. Um, I don't know about Sorry to Bother You because as much as I enjoyed that movie and when we had talked about it, I think it's just a bit too problematic for people. Just too out there. Yeah. Um, And if I'm just looking at like this, looking at these movies, again, I can't really count first reformed, but if I look at these movies and it really feels like these are kind of complete works, right? Like the favorite was a complete, it was all encompassed, even vice, right? It was all encompassed. to have like a bit of a story that they knew where they were going when it started off. Sorry to bother you, deviates very, yeah. very much. And so I'm curious to see if they they were like, you know, no, um, that's yeah. not the case. But I'm trying to think for right now all the other movies we saw last year, which is a fuck ton, um, <laughs> which one that I'd want to be up here. But I'm not sure. Um, I'm yeah. glad the favor's up here because the writers of that was absolutely amazing. Um, I wouldn't mind if Green Book won because that was written by his son, but I think is going to be between Roma and the favorite. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing I just want to mention in the adapted screenplay, go ahead and give Barry Jenkins this award because you snubbed him out of director and best picture. You know, so you need to give him some to carry home. So for adapted screenplay. I'll be curious. And I may- do like that. The Coens got nominated for Ballad of Busters for Grogs. Totally uneven story, but it's definitely very colorful tale. I I hear you, but I don't know anything about King You Forgive Me. I think A Star no. is Born could take this because, again, the other snubs from it. And right. we've seen A Star is Born happen multiple times, but never in this sort of light, never this good, I guess. So... Um, Barry Jenkins definitely should win. I'm not going to be surprised if A Star Is Born wins or Can You Forgive yeah. Me. And I haven't even seen that movie. I'm just looking at. It, I was like, where the fuck did this come from? So we'll see. We will see. Yeah. Oh man. All right. All right. Well, and uh, we we both know that Bao should win short animated film. I'm yeah. just scrolling through, but if Bao doesn't <laughs> or win, burn Hollywood yeah, down. Fuck this. <laughs> fuck the, if Bao doesn't win, I'm just going to fuck everything. I'm good. I'm not going to watch anything. More never see that. another movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 buddy. Was I get too crazy? <laughs> so let's get into our spoiler section. So if you have not seen glass, what we came here to talk about, we want to say, you know, you may want to pause the actual recording. We're going to be talking about the spoilers. We're going to ruin the movie and the entire universe. So if you haven't seen glass split unbreakable or really any other, his other films, you may, and by him, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan, you may want to hit pause, go grab a drink, go check out the movie, come back, pick up where you left off, and we will see you soon for a full review, spoiler edition of Glass. We are 
back, and we are the Downer Front Podcast in our spoiler section for Glass, one of the newest films in theaters right now. It is part of a trilogy for Unbreakable, uh, Split, and Glass by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm your host, Warren. I have my best friend, Brylan, and today we're going to be breaking it down to a couple different sections. So as always, we're going to talk about the acting. We'll talk about the characters of Glass, and then we're going to talk about the M. Night universe building. So how did it kind of fit in? What other things do you actually see? And where do you think it may kind of go a little bit later on? So as always, I'm going to start with my best friend, Brylan. And Brylan, talk to me about the acting and the characters of Glass. Yeah, so... um... I, I was really excited for this movie just because it was like a culmination of bringing all these unique characters that Shyamalan brought to life in Unbreakable and surprising us in Split that that was connected as well and bringing them all into the same room very literally to figure out like how do all this how does all this stuff connect what does it all mean and how will these superheroes confront one another? And I found that the three key players um, that uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Willis, uh, James McAvoy, and Samuel Jackson, uh, they definitely got back into these characters really well, uh, especially James McAvoy. It seems like, hey, we given him a character that he can just choose scenery and he really embodies this whole horde concept with these multiple personalities and also when he becomes the beast is fantastical as well because it comes a very physical performance versus just the other ones is more changing personality and behavior and mannerisms but he's doing it so quickly and so um, effortlessly in this film that I'm just like, wow, he just took what he did in Split and just elevated it and made it just as entertaining, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, I would say Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis kind of just one note, but I would say he was solid. I mean, this definitely had, was more interesting and unbreakable, but I felt like him, but also more to a larger point, Samuel Jackson they were pretty underutilized, especially Samuel Jackson, especially when the movie's called glass, you think you're going to get more into what makes Mr. Glass, Mr. Glass. And you don't, you, you get him like half the movie. He's playing that he's comatose and, or sedated under mm-hmm. heavy drugs and everything. But he's also, being Mr. Glass and using his brilliant mind to set up all these machinations of how he's going to get out of the psychiatric ward and break the beast out and get the beast to come out of the horde and do his bidding and set up this whole idea of a showdown with um, Bruce Willis's character to um, like fight to the death and see who is the most powerful one. Um, and once he does start to get into glass mode, it felt very, um, I wouldn't say it's his performance that made this feel like this, but like the dialogue he was given made it feel very regurgitated of what he just said in Unbreakable the first time, that they really didn't build upon uh, his character that much. And I was kind of bummed out that that uh, I was looking forward to seeing more about Mr. Glass and we didn't really get much more, but he does have a neat plan that I can't fault him for. He comes up with this really cool plan that I really love, which is all about, it's not about 
showing to the world that superheroes exist now in this uh, reality. Mm-hmm. It's more of if it's more of uh, giving all the other superheroes a chance to flourish and everything, and but still publicly say like, "Hey, here's amazing feats that people have done, and if you've done this before, you have that ability too," and that the world is all wide open now that superheroes can pop out of the word work if they want to that it ultimately it ends up everybody dies but they that the whole world is open now and their eyes are open to see there is something in humans that's beyond just normal human achievement it was oddly like uplifting um Especially for the sense that, you know, we've seen this message before just last year. You know, we've seen this message before with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We've seen this message before many times in a lot of superhero sort of franchises. But I've never seen this message from the villain, right? Like there's no going back for this guy by far. And you are meant in these three movies or really, you know, two. But overall, you're really meant to say – this guy is a clear villain. He is a bad person. But I've never seen a villain do something so noble of saying that, hey, you're not the only one. And he even has a line of saying that, oh, this wasn't a special edition. This was an origin story. But it wasn't his origin story. It's like from all the other people that he wants this to spread. Some good, obviously some bad. But he wanted this to happen. So I was very upset that we didn't really see into his mind of how his mind works. We've got yeah. everything about David and, you know, you know, movie number one, of uh, unbreakable. We all, we saw exactly his origin story of like how his powers works. And he really has like no ability. We saw a little bit in split. We only saw like maybe six or seven characters in split, but really the beast and how that's like something amazing in Beast, uh, in Split for James McAvoy's character, but then we actually got the rest of his characters in this, and we really, he went through everything, and I'm like, oh, thanks, even one that didn't even speak yeah. English, and so I thought even that was the, great. Even the credits were amazing for oh. James McAvoy. <laughs> I mean, you, get a, you see a list of like a thousand names, and then it just says James McAvoy at the end. <laughs> which is so, it's just so great, and so I'm re- I really, really loved that, like, subtleties of like those two characters, I really felt like this was our, you know, how he's a narrator of the story, right? But how does a narrator think? I really wanted to kind of step into his mind a little bit and really use Samuel Jackson because, A, this motherfucker never ages, which is weird and a little scary, right. but whatever. And But, B, <laughs> you literally have him comatose, you know, quote-unquote comatose. He wasn't, but we saw him on the screen as being comatose for – 60 70 percent of the movie it it really makes it a little frustrating that we knew he wasn't comatose yet he still we didn't really see him do anything until after and i also think that i'm wondering if you know m night uh mr Shyamalan, if he chose to do that to not play not show all his cars and he wanted to say oh this is what my twist is at the end because i was wondering what that was throughout the entire movie if why he never showed us what he was thinking because he wanted to use this as a twist against Sarah Paulson's character. So could be right. that that could be it. What else you got? Uh yeah, so 
I, I thought it was neat that it, it did bring these three characters did bring their like side characters or almost like their sidekicks as kind of uh, becoming like the next generation, even though we don't know if they necessarily have powers. We, we know that the girl that the, um, that the beast decided to spare uh, Casey, mm-hmm. uh, that she's shown that she has some type of either empathic connection to the beast and Kevin, um, or she has this ability to kind of heal the mind or focus the mind if she actually interacts with someone. So there is questionably, she might have some power, uh, but Mr. Glass's mom uh, and David's son, Joseph, seem like just normal everyday characters but we we understand joseph's motivation like even in the first unbreakable joseph holds a gun to his dad to just say like i know you're you're un- you're invulnerable you this won't hurt you let me just show it and he's he's the one like encouraging him to like be a superhero and be a hero out there mm-hmm. uh, even though he's doing a very childlike way and it's really cool to see as an adult now we see him and his dad like running a shop and I thought that was really cool that his son became kind of like his Alfred like feeding him information let him know like hey check out these spots in the city this might be the last location where these girls disappeared you might run into this beast going that way uh, and um, I thought that was like a neat evolution to their relationship who i didn't understand and i'm not sure if we just didn't get enough time to see what her character's motivations were or what drove her is glass's mom and glass's mom i i thought could be very intriguing where it it could be go beyond like the mom who loves her son no matter what Mm -hmm. even if he's done evil things and killed people uh, because we don't see her even in Unbreakable denounce her son. She just says that he's always been very bright and kids have always made fun of him and he can get hurt really easily. And she was very protective, very helicopter parent when he was a kid. Uh, but I just don't really understand why she's here in the first place in this movie because it feels kind of weird that even though he continues to... Um, he, Mr. Glass continues to kind of go through with these villainous plans, despite the outcome. Uh, she's there to like kind of still just say, you're my son, and uh, I still love you no matter what. And so I felt like she was very underdeveloped. I wanted to see a little bit more out of her. Yeah, I mean, even when you talk about the sidekick of the characters, overall, like I get why we need to show them. I just felt like we need to show them a lot less. I really felt (laughs) like we need to see less of them because I think that would have helped us kind of understand that they're here for some reason, that they bring out something um, in this other person, like this uh, superhuman person um, that they have. So they're definitely there to kind of bring out something for that person, whether it's, you know, uh, a... um, a connection back to reality or whether it's you know something that happened with his family or somebody who can actually kind of bring the real uh, Kevin, right? Ke- was Kevin yeah. the main? Yeah, Kevin. who can bring yeah. the real Kevin out. So I get why they need to be in the movie. I just felt that we stayed with them way too long. Um, there was multiple shots with Joseph without when David was already locked up and it was like, what's going on here? Casey just literally standing there half the time. His, his mom is just out of there and I, and I just felt like it was a lot of wasted time 
that we really could have got like more character moments or again we could have got more of what you know Elijah was thinking um so it really just felt like we maybe spent too much time on them and it was kind of a bit of a bummer that uh it it was just kind of weird and I know it was helpful that they used like those flashbacks and so I really like the flashbacks to his previous movies and I'm like oh motherfucker I've seen that movie but it was like he's kind of making a bit more sense of hey this is the impact of that moment now and that happened you know 10 you know 20 almost 20 years ago and so i like the element of the flashback and why they had to be in the movie i just wish that it was kind of ramped a little bit down so that the they would have been in a movie maybe once or twice and that impact hits us at the end when they're all sitting in the train station they can see all the other things that are happening and i think that would have been a really really powerful like boom like that's my twist of there's a reason that these three people were here and again, you know, why they were all connected. They were all connected. Somehow Elijah connected those three people. Although, unfortunately, he killed a lot of people. He did connect yeah. them. And even in the end, not only did he connect these three people that made these other superhuman personalities, but then he created all the other people. And I think that would have been a, a little bit uh, better way to actually kind of massage or kind of navigate the story. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, the only other character I would add on here is Sarah Paulson's uh, psychologist. Um, I'm just going to say, I, I don't like Sarah Paulson as an actress at all. Uh, it, there's something about her that I just find uh, off-putting. Uh, so she can't really do any good in my eyes. Um, but she plays a creepy psychiatrist that actually, surprise, is part of a secret organization that knows that, hey, superheroes are real. And that it's up to us to actually either call them out of the population or put them in a subversive state so they they do not upset the normalcy of life. Which, interesting take on a secret society that I think that's pretty neat that it's like, hey, we know that hey, superpowers actually exist and are starting to elevate what are we going to do to kind of keep this in check? And it, they were approaching it from a very objective viewpoint, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but I think that like the whole secret society stuff, I mean, just came up too too quickly at the end. It should have been like kind of peppered through the whole movie, kind of leading up to that. Like very suspicious that oh, this psychiatrist can just take David off the street and put him in a, a metal prison, and it's like. What did David do wrong? He yeah. wasn't committing a crime. <laughs> yeah, there was there was definitely a bit of like some hand waving and making us believe that we're in the movie. Um, I can't agree with you more though. Like, I like Sarah Paulson as an actress, so I'm not going to go that far. And she had a really good year. Also, she was in Bird Box, uh, Ocean's Eight, right? The last couple movies that I saw of her. Um, I just think I don't I don't blame this character on her. I blame this character on M. Night Shyamalan because this dude literally goes, oh, hey, you're going to be the person that's going to tie these three movies together in 20 years. And so I'm going to give you all the exposition. Plus, I'm going to try to give you a bit of a uh, red herring on you're actually not super people, right? The entire movie. And it's almost to the point where because I was believing it, too. I'm like, oh. 
maybe they're just regular people, right? Like, okay, that's cool. Um, and that was one of his other kind of mini, uh, major twists. I think this character could have been multiple characters. I'd, and if we have to talk about this movie, I can easily say you need to go back to the other movies and fix that. If you want to talk about this movie, we need to pull somebody from the other movies that yeah. have already came in contact with these people. Like, why not like bring somebody in from David's uh, past? We already know that. Um, we already or know maybe... that Kevin was like speaking to a therapist who were different. Like we actually yeah. saw, Ke- like we saw Kevin's therapist in, you know, Split, and it wasn't Sarah Paulson, and that would have made and she died at uh, Split. Yeah, but it would have made way more sense that if it was Sarah Paulson because she's been carried over, right. you know. But you know, I don't think he thought about it at that time. So I get not liking her character because her character was not very good, but it's not her fault. Yeah. And, um, yeah, M. Night, uh, I, I like M. Night just because he likes to take chances and he's definitely uh, making these unique worlds. But um, I think uh, one of those chances that M. Night needs to pull back on is making a character for himself in his movies, uh, especially when he gives himself, like, a good monologue, good, like, three, five-minute monologue to talk to another character in a scene, which, uh, when I see him in this movie it's just very jarring um also why is he wearing an 80s perm i don't understand what his hair choice is but uh that's that's uh what m night does i guess but um i i just felt that it's weird i don't think it's weird when directors put themselves in their own movies but i think it's weird when they give themselves prominent cameos if he was walking in the background or reading a book i get that but he's in here and he's actually talking to david he's like oh is this security camera gonna be good for me it's like oh do i know you oh did you used to work at the stadium oh you know what i used to hang out some ruffians around there so i'm sorry if i gave you any mess and so it's just a call back to his other cameo in unbreakable <laughs> and I was just like, come I would on. do the same thing. Come on, I, M. Night. Bro, I mean, I, I know would you're do having the fun, same but... <laughs> thing. <I'd... laughs> but, it, but it's I... annoying. Yeah. De- it's definitely jarring, especially when we wanted to get the movie started. And you was like, oh, I want to give myself this funny sequence. Nah, bitch. Let the movie start. You're right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, let it start. Get out of here. I, I, I fully agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm actually taking a look at who that actress was in Split who played his uh, therapist. Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, no, I thought it was actually a pretty famous actress. Um, Betty Buckley? Oh, uh, no, not who I was thinking. I was thinking Ellen Burstyn for some reason. Yeah, it looks like it was played by Betty Buckley. Um, so, and she plays Dr. Karen Fletcher. So that's kind of a misstep. Yeah, so I can kind of get that here. I was hoping that, you know, something more would come back, but it's cool. No biggie. No biggie. Betty Buckley called the voice of Broadway. Oh. That's always nice. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the only other things that I'll add is I like the subtlety of the performances here. Um, and I'm definitely going to get into this a little bit later when we talk about a bit of the universe as a whole and how it kind of shapes up. But it really felt like we had a lot of one-on-one and maybe one-on-two and we actually had these superhuman people conversing with each other a little bit. I wanted a lot more, but it definitely felt like the zoom in and the camera was really internally for these characters. Now, 
Bruce Willis has never wowed me with his acting, and I don't think he ever oh. will wow me with his acting. But I think it was very smart of Shyamalan to put less focus on Bruce Willis because he's not the best one, and a lot more focus on James McAvoy, even the flashing lights and changing. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal, um, as you said. Yeah, and so, yeah whatever like Hedwig would come out, I thought Hedwig was just an amazing personality. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, these guards were the dumbest fucking people on the earth. Yeah. Like, also I, I, the evilest criminal guards ever. <sighs> it, it got to the point where I sat there and says... There's going to be something that fucks up this movie, and it's going to be something simple. And this is the very simplest of things of, hey, I know you've been getting out your chair. We can't do that. If you know he's been getting out of his room and you know he's been getting out of his chair, you would have to at least realize the fact that this dude could be dangerous because he killed all those fucking people. Come on. You should know that at least a little bit and have some armed guards. Those guards didn't have any weapons except a flashlight. Crazy. Um, so I thought that was kind of uh, uh, I thought it was kind of a little weird. Um, I'm glad I think we talked about the use of the flashbacks and getting you know David's son Joseph back in the movie. I thought that was pretty cool. The one thing I was kind of bummed about is that did you think that the ending battle was supposed to be a bit anticlimactic? Um, I mean, ultimately, uh, I I thought it was. I mean, it wasn't really the big traditional superhero fight. And I think that's kind of the point is that let's, let's figure out a way to make this a little bit more related to what would an, a, a person with exceptional powers, how it actually happened in the real world. So I do like some things about it. Like when the beast finds out that his dad was on the same train as David and turns on Elijah, it's just a simple punch in the gut and Elijah's dying. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, I like that, um, David and the beast can go toe to toe and beat each other up. Um, and I think like, uh, it it just definitely culminates to everybody's weaknesses kind of take them out of the, uh, picture. So we know with David, his weakness is water. So once after he gets out of the tank, um, yeah, he's actually so weak he can't really get up, and security guards, for some reason, just drown him in a puddle, which is just, I think, one of the most, I mean, it was just a very unsettling scene. Like, why are they drowning this guy? This is very terrible. And then you see the little shot of the clover um, tattoo on that guard's wrist. But you're so like, oh, what's happening here? This is mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and then with uh, the Beast, um him getting shot and everything after he turns into Kevin, that's kind of like, uh, just like your, your typical shootout of something. Uh, so it, it definitely felt that, yeah, they wanted to kind of not have like the beam of light in the sky, which I appreciate that they were like setting up like, Hey, we're going to have the big showdown on the tallest building in the city. And then they turn it around. It's like, Nope, everybody dies here in the parking lot. And I think, uh, that was, a very interesting choice and it, it it actually makes the story i think uh a lot more introspective and it's a lot more about let's think about superheroes and what they mean rather than just seeing their mightiness on the on the screen mm-hmm. yeah and i do want to kind of lead that out into our next uh sort of topic talking about the uh, universe building because it definitely felt like 
he made a bit of a he he kind of fooled fooled me at the end, thinking that there's going to be this huge. I really got hold. So I got really scared. I got very scared to say that. Please do not give me two people fighting on a fucking building, like <laughs> <laughs> like that movie with the Rock. And I was like, yeah. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Please don't let it happen. So I'm glad that that didn't happen, but I'm also glad that he made it. There was like another kind of foil that was kind of a part of the story that, you know, although I do think it was still a bit anticlimactic, especially because um, I wanted to see at least another instance for people who hadn't noticed. But, you know, for the beast, bullets do not affect his – well, bullets cannot pierce his skin. But when right. he teamed up to Kevin, it does, and that's why he got shot. Um, I don't want it to be, like, in your face, but I thought it would be kind of pretty cool. But I also wanted to see, you know, this is one thing that I was curious about is I wanted to see these other people. Like, it seems as though he wanted to create more than these three superheroes. And we even got a shot in this movie that Joseph is going back to the comic book store. He's looking through all the villains. He's looking through all the comic books. And, oh, I love the absolute reveal that it was Elijah who kills Kevin's parent, who's Kevin's father, and who forces him to drive him to his mother, who really kind of, really his DID got pretty severe. And that's what lead him to create the beast. So I love that, you know, um, yeah. bit of a And they show that at the end of Split as well, so... They show that he. They they died? show they show Kevin as a kid waving to his father, and the train he's getting on you see is the same one as David is on. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I thought I didn't. I don't think I actually caught that at split. Hmm. Yeah, it's at the very end. Like I think after they catch him, uh, and then when they cut to David in the diner, looking at the news. I thought that was the end of the movie there. So I think that's kind of funny because I was like, oh, shit. Like everybody in the movie. I was like, he, yeah. cre- he created him. So that was kind of pretty cool. Um, squeezing in the secret organization in this universe really felt like kind of tough to do to, for the last movie. I don't know if this is going to be his last movie, but I think that was probably the kind of the biggest issue I had with this entire universe. I was really digging where it was going. I thought Unbreakable was a phenomenal movie. I really I thought Split was yeah. a great movie. I think, you know, Glass is a great movie, but you really you really had something special with Unbreakable. What can you do to get back to that? Um right. and the fact that you choose to add a secret organization and you kinda kill Robin right off off screen. Felt it was kind of bummer, and uh, I yeah. felt like it was a little cheap that he was trying to do it that way. Yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, like the secret organization uh, definitely put in there too quickly. Quickly at the end, um, they should have. This should have been something that kind of was peppered through the whole trilogy, and then it's like a big reveal, and you're just like, "Is that what all that crazy shit meant?" That would have been amazing. Um, but um, I find that, like, yeah, I when I was first going into this movie, what I was expecting was a movie where I was going to see it's all about David versus the Beast and Mr. Glass finds a way to control the Beast because he's a super genius and is having him do his bidding and everything for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, he's 
hungry to find more superheroes or powered individuals and so he's using the beast to do that now and that's how the beast gets fed and stuff is like grabbing these individuals and see who have powers or not kind of alluding back to how casey was revealed at the uh, at the end of split because he spared her um but um also i would see like I would want to see like David fighting the beast in this very epic battle, but David can't overcome the beast. And then he actually has to track down Casey and Casey becomes the key to beating the beast. That's the kind of movie I was looking for, like a very traditional superhero movie. (laughs) And yeah, uh, yeah, I kind of like, I mean, we, we get that, we get that twist that from Shyamalan, this is like one of his most subtle twists. It's not really in your face. It's more of like, the, what is the mythos of heroes about and superpowered beings is um, it's about that it's capable of something that everybody could do if they believe in themselves strong enough and it's something where like if you've ever experienced something that is beyond normal or if you've done anything that's beyond normal you it could be you and that's a very positive message coming from a supervillain which is surprising mm-hmm. um I um, I thought uh, that uh, the movie uh, should have uh, built more on the comic mythos. Like, I love like an Unbreakable. When we first meet Elijah, he's running this art gallery where his art is all these like firsthand prints of comic book covers and stuff like that. And he's talking about what makes a villain a villain and what makes a hero a hero. And villains are drawn very thin and lithe and heroes are very bold shouldered and uh, things like that. And he talks about the importance of the origin story, the importance of the hero having reluctance to get to it. I was hoping they would dive more into that. And that's what I was wanting most out, out of this movie is give me more of that comic book mythos and make that kind of, the stumping block that Mr. Glass gets on to validate why he does the things he does. But mm. I wanted I wanted a lot more of that and diving deeper because I, I was just kind of inspired by like Into the Spider-Verse where visually we get all these unique little com- – the only comic book elements you would actually notice if you read comics like the – the pebbling on the screen and the offset colors and everything um, that we could actually had like kind of the writer's view, like the, the arc of the heroes, like maybe have something in here before the hero can succeed. He must, he must face the ultimate tragedy. I think that would have been given us more to get behind David as the quote unquote hero. Um, but also just build upon this is comic book characters coming to life in the quote unquote real world. So what is that going to look like? How do you, how do you start to understand it and comprehend it? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the biggest thing I did have with the comic book references was the fact that we kept going back to the comic book store. Um, It just seems to be kind of unrealistic to the fact that now in this day and age, you would know that people would read comics on their devices, their phones and stuff like that. And the amount of uh, stereotypical things of she going back and kind of looking through and flipping through the comic books to kind of find the next one. And although I did enjoy it when David's son went in there, I felt like they kind of hammed it up a little bit too much. Um, I think they needed to kind of ramp down with a little bit and it kind of bothered me. Like let's make it a little bit more realistic 
uh, comic books and print are definitely going out of style. So it would have been nice to have a, a bit of two different things to see there. Yeah. Or even talk about like different paper stocks and why they use different inks and stuff like that. Although I did like the fact that he did mention special edition. I like that, you know, M Knight put in like these cheesy lines. Um, I like that when this kind of hints being added to why comic books are still important, why reading is still important, right? Why still people still prefer writing things down. Yeah. And it's just it it just was too much. So I also thought it was cu- curious and like really interesting that you know yeah. uh, David's son went through and was looking at a couple of different villains and maybe that's going to kind of expand the universe or you know maybe we had talked about the fact that uh, their rivals or their counterparts may have some control it may have some power like he was looking through some of the uh, comic books about like the Whisperer and things like that so I wonder if they actually had met these people later on so I thought that was cute C- cool I-, I really like that element um, of the movies I just don't want it to be kind of overdone I also like that now Glass has given these everybody else these super powered peoples more um, agency and more the ability to kind of live and kind of band together against this kind of clover. Um, I almost said Cloverfield uh, against this Clover uh, nation or this kind of group. So I think that's pretty cool. They could have uh, people kind of uh, teaming up together left and right. There could be a couple of spinoffs. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that's pretty cool, um, but. Uh, I, I really like what he was doing. Sometimes it definitely felt like it was a little bit too much, as I talked about before. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think with, like, Joseph and Glass's mom and Casey all coming together at the end, it's kind of like showing the opposite organization getting formed that's going to face against the other organization, I guess called the Clover organization or something. Um uh, Cloverfield, <laughs> that um, that they're going to be the ones that start the group that find and like shepherd the superpowered ones to say, hey, be a force for good rather than and stand up against these people that want to take you out. Um, I also thought it was, I mean, it was very comic bookish, but I enjoyed it that whatever the secret organization would meet, they're just like st- sitting in a normal restaurant and everything, and they're just they're waiting for that one person to leave, <laughs> and then automatically. Everything gets quiet, and then all of a sudden, Sarah Paulson just pops up as like, I'm here to report. <laughs> I couldn't stand that part. It was very James Bondish. <laughs> well, that part actually confused me because I thought when David touched people, he like sees – I thought it was the future, but it seems to be a little bit different, and I thought like – they would see all the bad stuff that he would do. I guess it was more of the potential. I was kind of confused about that. Uh, his power was always like he can – when he touches you, he senses like mm. he senses whatever your last actions were or something. It's weird, yeah. But I felt like when he was touching people, he was showing like the evil in them or what they have the capability to do. Um, even in the first movie, he was showing the crimes people already committed. Or if you have evil intent. Ah, okay. I guess that kind of makes sense. I I can ride with that. I did enjoy when they kind of flipped it on its head because it definitely felt like the Clover uh, and the heroes and the villains and stuff like that. It was tough to see who we wanted to root for because at a moment I'm actually rooting for Glass, right? I'm rooting for the Beast, um, which is kind of weird because we talked about how this is kind of a villain origin story. But it just felt 
way crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, and it was nice to see that, well, I'm rooting for him, but this guy is a clear mass murderer. I just haven't felt this way about villains in a movie before. It was a really right. um, different perspective. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing I think is really cool is that even though they bring up this, the tale of heroes and villains from a comic book stint, that they still keep it kind of grounded where it's like your heroes might not be the heroes you want and the villains may actually have some good points. And it's a very gray territory that they keep all the characters in, which I, I actually appreciate for that. Yeah. Uh, but to come back to Sarah Paulson's character for a moment, just wonder if does M Knight have something against psychology um, in his Ooh. movies? Um, there's uh he he definitely paints like uh, Kevin's therapist in Split as very uh, like kind of almost uh, a little too appreciative of what his psychological issues are, yeah. and that uh, she's kind of like rooting for his yeah uh, him to be exceptional and stuff, and that's kind of like weird for a psychiatrist. And then here we have this psychiatrist with powers like so many legal powers it's it's unsubstantial and like that she's running this psychiatric ward that happened to have in this one ward um perfect uh cells for each of these superpowered beings Ugh. and everything and which all makes sense once you under see the secret society come out but it, it's weird that m knight has this kind of running thing with the psychiatrist being either very overzealous or um, or just uh, kind of always in there for their own personal gain rather than being doctors and treating patients. I think you may be onto something because if we go back and look at The Sixth Sense and Bruce Willis' character in that movie, I don't know if you yeah. can remember, but what was his profession? He's a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? He's a child psychiatrist. Exactly. And I think you actually may be onto something quite large here. I think that's a huge point I've actually never seen before. Now I'm curious to see if we go back and sit down and watch maybe not all of his movies, let's be honest, but if we watch the majority of his movies, does he have something going on with psychology and therapists in general because he's either painting them in a fairly negative picture or you know in you know one movie uh in six Sense, he was really the catalyst of that movie and what went wrong yeah and so man that is like blowing my mind right now i never actually thought about that i kind of want to do a rewatch and a read through of some of his movies and see if there's something that's kind of connecting those dots because if he does have issues with, you know, therapy personally, right, and he's maybe projecting that on the actual movie itself, then I'll be curious kind of dissect that to see if he kind of feels like it's not worth it. Uh, because especially, you know, especially in Glass, they are definitely made up to be the villains where in Split, his therapist was made to be, you know, a bit more supportive, uh, but she doesn't necessarily make it through. And I, I think they kind of sort of mentioned the fact that what David was going through in um, uh, Unbreakable. So, man, this is this is heavy stuff. Yeah. And I wonder also how that ties into, you know, the creation of the characters from, you know, Kevin Wendell Crumb and, you know, the, the creation of the Horde and all these other personalities from the DID and how it progressively gotten kind of worse and worse. 
And right. it's just curious to see that he had talked about, you know, when some of them come up to the light, some of them doesn't. And when he was going through therapy, especially in sort of, um, you know, split, like we saw only some of them. But now in this movie, we literally got all of them. But we now know that the horde was kind of created as almost like a protection yeah. Um, so it, it, that's cool. Yeah, and it's kind of like the Horde was explaining, like, yeah, I mean, there's other personalities there, but some have been banned from going into the light and stuff. And so it relies on the primary ones of Hedwig and was it Pauline and Patricia? Patricia. And uh, I guess Patricia's quote unquote brother, or the one that's always like talking against her, which I forget his name. Yes. Um, but it was interesting to see, like, like the uh, once they're using the flash bulbs and everything, just seeing the other personalities just cycle through was really cool. Man, I absolutely loved the fact that James McAvoy, they just gave him free reign to do that. And looking at his range going through, there was like a professor kind of, I think there was one site in Shakespeare and, you know, we had talked about Hedwig. Um, man, I just love all the fun that it seemed like he was having as a performer, but it also kind of shed some light at, you know, there's could be people out there, you know, it could not be this severe, but yeah. you know, there's people out there living with it. Yeah. And it's always like Hedwig is the herald of the beast, which I always found interesting that the child is the one that you see before the, the, oh. the madness and the evil comes out. You bring it up some good stuff. That's kind of messed up. Children. <laughs> So let's get into our final thoughts. So, Rylan, would you recommend watching Glass? And if so, what movies would you tell people to kind of watch from beforehand or give some more advice on uh, what you say to the audience before watching this movie? Yeah, so I would I would definitely go out and see this, especially if you enjoyed Unbreakable and Split. I think even though it wasn't what I was expecting – to for the movie to be it's still very enjoyable it still brings this story of these three unique characters uh to a close and just opens up the world to just whatever you want to take it which i think is really cool so i would love to see like a tv show that continues to like explore this universe a bit more maybe not directly done by m night but maybe he would executive produce it and just pick a showrunner to kind of explore this a bit more while he focuses on other film projects but i think uh for m night's films these are very three solid strong a three solid strong trilogy of movies that um i think shows how creative he can be and how good of a director he can be yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, these three films definitely shows his range. I love the fact that this felt like kind of a small, like, uh, confined, yet very more intimate type of movie than before. Um, although we have, um, yeah. you know, like smaller casts, especially throughout all three of these movies, I still feel like the character development and the growth, especially from um, Split to Glass, was great. Uh, I definitely, like, enjoy this movie. I, I mean, hopefully it goes down as one of my favorite this year, but I'm not entirely sure if I like a, a spinoff, especially if he's not there. But, you know, you never know. I'll keep it open. And with that, we have been the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks so much, Brylin, for kind of hanging out with me. Uh, we do this all the time, every week, so I appreciate it so much. Uh, Brylin, Mouth of the South, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me... Uh 
talking in many different types of voices on Twitter at Brylun, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. You can also find me posting many movie and TV reviews on my Instagram account at I am Bryland. And check out more of our work at downinfrontpodcast.com where we have video teasers, we have artwork, we have a bunch of information. We have our past episodes from uh, Gamecast and we have our friends with Blends. We have a bunch of information on there. So definitely go check that out. Uh, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Reddit, I mean, we're literally everywhere. Just Google downinfrontpodcast.com. Although some impersonators may pop up, that's okay. Um, check out more of our work on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast. On Reddit, we're downinfront.reddit.com. On Twitter, we're at underscore DAFP. And if you like what we do, you want to sign up to become a patron, please do. Anything and everything's helpful. Patreon.com slash down in front podcast. Everything is appreciated and we thank you so much. Brylan, what are we reviewing next week? Our next review is a little movie called Serenity, starring Matthew McConaughey hmm. and Anne Hathaway. I have no idea what that movie's about. So this should be good, right? Me neither. I haven't seen a trailer for it at all. I guess that's a, a good recipe. It has to be good, right? Just like Interstellar. So, come on. Yep. Alright, well, I appreciate it, everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, we will say goodbye. Thanks. Good night. That's the only thing I can think of. Are they super powered? I mean, that'd be kind of weird.